Good morning, everyone. Uh, first question for you today, and you can turn to the person beside you and give your answer. What is the number one prayer that is prayed in all the universe? Okay, so in the world, what is the number one prayer? So go ahead, take 10 seconds, look to the person beside you. Anybody say the uh, Lord's Prayer? Anybody say that? Okay. Anybody say the Rosary? You know, Catholics, they pray that. Okay. You want the number one prayer is? Help! (laughs) Right? Hey, that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want us to look at this question. It's a question that many people have when it comes to prayer. Should my prayer be scheduled... Or should it be spontaneous? Should my prayer be scheduled or should it be spontaneous? Should I pick a particular time of day and a particular place to pray? Or should I just kind of go with the flow and just kind of go with the fly? Just a conversation with God throughout the day. Well, in order to answer that question, I want us to look this morning at a classic kind of story in the Bible that will help us to answer it. It has all of the elements of like an HBO feature kind of movie, okay? And our movie today is called HBO Feature Daniel's Story, okay? Daniel's Story. Now, this story is filled with colorful characters and uh, suspense and twists and turns. There's a surprise at the very end of the uh, story itself. Uh, there's only one thing that's not in the story, and it's sex. So half the men just like clocked out right there. You know, they're just like, forget it. You know, no, stay with us, guys. It's good. Okay. Now, the main character is this guy named Daniel, and he is 85 years old when we jump into the story. But you need to know a little bit of his background. And uh, the background is this. He was kidnapped uh, as a young man from Israel, and he was taken to a foreign country that he did not know. He he and a few buddies were dragged there, kind of like uh, cattle in a cattle car, and they were dragged there to uh, be able to work and to help this other country. And he didn't know the language. He didn't know the culture. I mean, it was a culture shock for him when he gets there. And yet Daniel decides that he's not going to be down in the dumps or he's not going to be depressed or play the role of the victim. But he actually chooses within that moment to say, even though I've been kidnapped, I've been dragged out, I am still going to lean into deeply the presence of God. And that's what he does. He leans deeply into a relationship with God. He decided what many of you decide Monday through Friday. That when you go through your week, that he was going to choose to not lay down, but to stand up for his faith. He was going to be courageous. He was going to be attractive so that the godless kind of environment that he was in could actually be attracted to him. Now, Daniel just decided, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to lay down, even though my circumstances are bad. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up for my faith. 
I'm going to stand up for my God, and I'm going to give glory to Him for anything that happens to me, even though it was a godless country, a godless environment. So Daniel is in this foreign country, and he willingly accepts any assignment that's given to him. If he's asked to clean the streets, that's what he does. If he's asked to do the most menial job, he chooses to do it, and he does it with all of his might. And there are people around him, some of his co-workers, and they're like, what's up with Daniel? Like, what are you driving at, dude? What are you doing all this stuff for? I mean, you've been kidnapped. You're almost just a little higher than a slave. Seriously, Daniel. Now, as Daniel's life goes on, it kind of has some more twists to it. And eventually, it comes to the point that he moves up the professional ladder. He starts maybe as a sweet, uh, a street sweeper, but eventually he gets all the way up to a high position within the government. And he does this for decades and decades and decades. And now he's 85, and he's at this high level. But a new king comes on the scene. So now Daniel doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, a lot of times when governments get to a point where they have some older officials, they just kick them out. So Daniel didn't know. So what happens is this new king comes in and he decides that he's going to interview every single government official first, and then he'll decide who he's going to put on his team and who he's not. When he interviews Daniel, he's very impressed with him. His integrity. He looks at all of his references. He's always been a a very loyal government worker. And he's so impressed with him that he eventually decides that he is going to place him in one of the top three positions in the entire country. So think about that. He's in one one of the top three positions uh, in the country. And he likes Daniel so much that he eventually says, I'm going to move him into the role of being a prime minister. The prime minister of the entire country. Now, this is where we have the first HBO plot kind of thickening moment. The tension comes in HBO's Daniel story. Daniel has one of these top three jobs, but Daniel wasn't born in this country. So think about that. You've got all these people who have worked just as long as he has, and they are citizens from birth of this country. And now Daniel comes in, and he's going to take one of their spots. And so they get jealous. And I'm not talking about a little jealous. I'm talking about insanely jealous. I mean, hate the ground you walk on kind of jealous. Have any of you ever gotten caught up into the whirlwinds of jealousy? Don't raise your hand, okay? Because we all have. And when you do that, jealousy can get very dark and it can get very ugly. We have jealousy on our staff because Derek looks at my body and he just gets real jealous. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Okay, back to Daniel. Uh, So Daniel's colleagues are consumed with this professional jealousy. And they decided that they're going to take 
Daniel down. We're going to bring him down. I mean, every single politician has some dirty laundry out there, right? I mean, you look at the history of Muncie politics and you understand, hey, everybody's got something. So they look everywhere, and this is what verse 4 says. But they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. I just love that. I mean, wouldn't that be great if that could be said about every single person here at the jar? That every time they go into the interview room, Oh, you go to the jar, that's trustworthy people. Those are people that are not corrupt. Those are people who are never negligent. Now, these jealous officials, they kind of get discouraged, and they're like this. We will never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the what? Law of his God. They're like, ah, There's a little kink in the armor, and it has to do with his religion. So they have this idea. We know that Daniel's a man of deep faith. We know he's never been ashamed of who his God is. And he would never keep that a secret. Neither should you or I. Anybody know who this guy is? Anybody? Like if you're under 30, you're like, I have no idea. He's an old guy with gray hair, you know. Okay, this is Jimmy Carter. He was the 39th president of the United States. Now, before he went into politics, he was in the business world. And uh, anyone remember what his business was? Peanuts. My daughter's allergic to peanuts, so I don't like that guy. No, I'm joking. I, I don't have anything against Jimmy at all, okay. Um, and uh, while he was in the workplace... Um, a guy came up to him one day and he asked him a question. He said, if you were indicted for being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let me say that again. If you were indicted of being a follower of Jesus Christ, is there enough evidence to convict you? And that question rocked Jimmy's world. He went to church every Sunday. He taught a Sunday school class. But when push came to shove and he had to answer that question himself, he said, in some areas I do, but when it comes to the business world, when it comes to the workplace, when it comes to the marketplace, I do not share my faith. And so Jimmy Carter writes about this very openly where he says that at that moment in time, he made a commitment to God that he would never back down sharing his faith in the workplace at that point. Now back to Daniel. The colleagues have mountains of evidence about the fact that he is a person of faith. And you're not going to believe what the plan is that they come up with. The next part of our HBO movie script comes. Everyone knows that Daniel is committed to prayer. How do we know that? His co-workers go around 
and they notice that he's always gone at three times during a day, and he's always praying during that time, and people have noticed him. And so they come up with a plan or a proposal to give to the king. It's kind of a weird, strange proposal, but this is what it is. Verse 7. We recommend, O king, that anyone who prays to any god or man other than you for the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den. So the king receives this recommendation. He thinks about it. And he likes it. In fact, he loves it. He's like, whoo! Like, people are going to bow down to me. They're going to kneel down to me. Like, I'm going to be the only God there is. I like this. I like it a lot. Give me the bill. I'll sign it. You know? And he does. And it becomes law. Now, hang on, because the movie kind of picks up a little bit more. Like I said, Daniel's colleagues knew that Daniel was a person of faith. They knew when he prayed. They knew how he prayed. He prayed three times a day, facing Jerusalem. And he would always pray on the second floor. He would have the windows wide open. And he would have the wind coming in so that he had a breeze in the Middle Eastern heat. And the whole city all knew this. They all knew this about Daniel. Year after year, Decade after decade, he's 85 years old. He's too old to change, folks. He's going to pray to God three times a day on the second level. So his jealous colleagues, they set a trap. One day they decide that while he prays, they're going to set their cell phones five minutes before he prays. And what they decide they're going to do is when it goes off, it'll go off for everybody. Because, you know, cell phone world, it's the time. And they're going to run and they're going to get to the place where he prays and they're going to catch him in the act, which would mean that he breaks the law. Now, the problem is, is that there are a few of Daniel's other friends that really respect Daniel and they get wind of this and they go to Daniel and they say, Daniel, no, 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 Daniel, uh, you know what? This is going to happen. They put it into law. Whatever you do, just don't pray. Just don't pray. I mean, just take a month off. It's no big deal. Don't pray. So Daniel, being the brilliant government official that he is, he thinks about it and he goes, I've got options. That's what I want you to understand this morning. You have options. Every single day of how you spend your time, you have options. So Daniel has options. First of all, he could just skip praying. I mean, he's prayed for like, you know, I don't know, 60, 70 years, three times a day. I mean, he's got like, you know, enough in his pile. He shouldn't have to worry about that. I mean, he's prayed all this time. And God, I mean, why would God get mad at him? I mean, God wouldn't do anything to Daniel. I mean, he's been so faithful. So if he takes 30 days off, if he chooses not to pray, no big deal. So that's one option. Another one is he could just pray quietly on the streets as he's walking around. You ever do that before? You're walking around, you're out of place, all of a sudden you think of, hey, I need some help with something, or I'm going to pray for this person, or you're in a meeting, you know, with your boss, and you're like, oh, God, help me, you know. 
I've heard this story for the 19th time, you know. And, uh, but we do that. We have a tendency that we can pray even if we're doing something else. So he could do that. He could just pray on the fly. Or Daniel could just go downstairs. He could say, I'm not going to be on the second level. I'm going to go down to the first level. I'm going to uh, kind of get on my couch. I'm going to close my eyes. No one will know. And I'm just going to have a little prayer time with God. And that way I won't get in trouble. Again, folks, the point is this. Daniel has options. Daniel has many options of what he could do. Listen to what he does in verse 10. Daniel went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done what? Before. You see, Daniel knows they're watching He knows what the law is. He knows what the consequences are to breaking this law. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to pray just like I always have before. As if to say to all of his sinister, hateful colleagues, you're going to feed me to the lions. That's what you're going to have to do. Because I'm not stopping what I do all the time. This is my prayer routine. I do not stop it. So, hey, if need be, Send me to the lines. Now, at that point, you know, as I was reading this story, I'm thinking, Daniel, come on, dude, get smart. I mean, like, that's not a smart thing to do. Daniel, come on, get it together, dude. Like, they're not messing around. Now, do you know what happens next? His colleagues catch him in the act. They get there and they're like, gotcha. Gotcha, Daniel. And one of them pulls out their smartphone and they take a picture. And then they post it to Instagram. And it's like this old guy's praying and it's all over now and everybody knows. And they're like, send it on Facebook too, you know. Send it to every place we can so that people know we've caught him in the act. They got him. You're done, Daniel. You're done. Then they run to the king. They run to the king and say, hey, look, evidence. We've got evidence that he's praying. And all of a sudden the king's like, oh, they duped me. They set me up. And the king's ticked. But he's the king. And kings don't go back on their word, you know, when... When they know that they've written something down, he doesn't want to lose power. So he thinks, maybe I can change this. Maybe I can make something happen. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and, every, and make every effort until sundown to save him. At this point, the king's just terrified. This is the one guy that he trusts most, more than anyone else. He's already said, the prime ministry position is yours. You're going to be the one who's going to run the country. And now it's all gone south. And he's going to get fed to the lions. Just because of this stupid law and this oversized ego of a king. 
So the king runs, and they're leading Daniel down this hallway. And then they have to open a window, and they let him down into the pit where the lions are. And just before it goes there, one of the most amazing statements in Scripture, the king says this, May your God... Now we read that and we think, well, that's not a big thing. Folks, it's a godless country. There are no gods. No one believes in a god. Okay? So here's the king. He says, may your God, whom you serve continually. We've seen you, David, Daniel. Everybody knows that you have been praying every day, three days, or three times a day. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue. Daniel, we know that you're full on for God. You've never stopped the accelerator. You've always said, this is the one true God. I will worship Him. I will honor Him. I will do whatever thing, anything that I can. We respect you, Daniel. And we're hoping that it happens, that you're able to get beyond this. May your God rescue you. And you know what happens? They lower him into this den where there are lions. And he's going down into the den. And he lifts his hands up and he prays. He goes, God, shut the mouths of the lions. A specific prayer. A clear prayer. Just shut the mouths of the lions. And the scripture says that God hears his prayer. And God sends an angel. And the only job description for this angel, for this night, is to keep the mouths of the lions shut. Now the king doesn't sleep all night. But finally, just at the moment of daybreak, he runs down to see, has Daniel been killed by the lions? Or maybe his God has rescued him. And lo and behold, they go down there and Daniel is like down in this den like, hey, what's up? You didn't have to be worried about this. And look what the scripture says. And when Daniel was lifted up from the den, no wound was found on him. I love that detail. Not a scratch. Not an abrasion. Nothing. And why? What's the scripture say? It says, because he, what's it say? Had trusted in his God. And because his God answered his prayer and rescued him. Let me ask you, how powerful can prayer be when it's prayed by a sincere person? It might just save you from lying. So here's Daniel, he's being lowered down and he lifts his hands up and he's like, God, please help, please, please help. He's like, if you can just shut the mouths of the lions, I think I can hang with them for a night as long as there's no biting, you know. You remember what happens next after this? Daniel gets pulled out of the lion's things and two things happen. One is not pretty at all. The other one is actually quite beautiful. When the king finds out that these sinister people have duped him, 
He says, I want all of them. I want all of them. And I want all their families. How fast can you run? And they lower him down into the lion's den. And just think about it. If you're a lion, and like the whole night you're like, mmm, mmm, mmm. When all of a sudden the angel's like, hey, let me open your mouth. No problem, no problem. What are they going to do? Oh, well, we have another. No, they're going to town. And they rip them limb by limb. Not a pretty sight. But then the king does something very beautiful. The king himself drafts a letter and he circulates it all over the place. And he commends Daniel. But even more importantly, he commends Daniel's God. Let's just read a portion of it in verse 26. It says, Daniel's God is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He's like saying to everybody, hey, I found a power that is greater than any other power. Because every other person who's ever gone into the lion's den, guess what happened? But this guy, because of his God and his faith, he gets down there and he gets rescued by his God from the lion's den. And then he kind of puts an addendum. Remember that law that I gave you about only worshiping me? Let's scrap that. Like, not a good idea. Thought it might work. Now, hey, not so much. Stop it. Let's not do that. Don't bother praying to me. Pray to Daniel's God. Serve Daniel's God. Give your one and only life to Daniel's God. And that's a good clapping point right there. Because the HBO movie is done. No, you don't have to clap again. You guys are so great. I mean, I just feel loved today. Well, you can, I'd encourage you to read Daniel's uh, story. It's got 12 chapters and would uh, encourage you to do that. It's in the Old Testament. It's a great read. Great read. But what about us? Because the thing is, if we just know Daniel's story, but we don't practically apply it, to something in our life, it really doesn't matter. So for the rest of our time, I want to get really practical. Now, when we first started the teaching, back when your clothes were in style, see, no one laughed at the first celebration on that either. I really thought that would come across. Uh, I said that, you're, that we had a question that people often ask. Here's the question. Should prayer be scheduled or should it be spontaneous? You know, every spiritual champion that I've ever met who has been a world changer, I'm not talking about changing the entire world, but the world that they live in, like the people around them, their family, their friends, coworkers, neighbors, all those people, those people who are world changers, they have a scheduled prayer time with God. They all have them. 
It's not legalistic. It's out of desperation. They realize that if they're not praying, the power that God has in their life will not move. They rely on prayer with God for the power from God. Let me say that again. They rely on prayer with God for the power from God. But you've got to have that. You see, prayer, folks, is like, uh, it's like a nuclear kind of energy. And it's able to come out. It's like all, we have all of these little power places. And do you ever get plugged in? Because if you're not plugged in, there's no power. And that's what prayer does. Folks, people who are changing the world around us have a regular prayer time. And they practice their prayer routines regularly. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, geez. I don't know if I'd have that discipline. Like Daniel, three times a day? Seriously? I don't know. And I think if you're asking the question, I don't know if I would have the discipline to do it. I think you're asking the wrong question. Would I have the discipline to do it? I think you're asking the wrong question. Because I don't think the issue or the question is about discipline. I think the question is about desperation. Do you have the desperation that nothing would change from you spending time in prayer with God at a specific time each day? In fact, that's the big idea that I want you to get this morning is this. That prayer is more about desperation than it is discipline. Prayer is more about desperation than it is discipline. Do you have the desperation? Do you have your spiritual sights high enough? Do you have a a desperate enough feeling within your being that you'll develop whatever skills and you'll give whatever time it is so that you can connect with the one true God? The same God who saved Daniel from the lion's den. You know, if there's anything that I've learned in the last 15 years of really focusing in on a specific prayer time, it's this, that it's desperation that drives discipline. Not the other way around, folks. You don't get real disciplined and then get... No, no. It's always desperation that drives the discipline in a person's life. When you're hungry enough... For God to work in your life, you'll pray. When you're hungry enough to see the lives of other people change, you'll pray. When you're hungry enough to be able to see co-workers and neighbors and friends and family come to Christ, the incentive of simply being in the presence of God is enough for you to pray. And you'll have a prayer routine. And it'll be regular. And it'll be passionate. And it'll be focused. You'll stick with it. No matter what. Now you might be sitting there, well, how do I do it? Like, how do I develop a prayer routine? I mean, I was talking to someone uh, after the first celebration. They're like, ah, I never even knew how to. I just, and and when I did pray, I never saw much movement, so I just kind of gave up. So what are the steps to an effective prayer life? What are the steps to effective prayer life? Well, it's not as difficult as you might think. First step It's pretty easy. You've got to set a time. (laughs) 
Anything happens in your life happens because you plan time for it. So you've got to set a time. Now, there is not a particular time. You know, some people go, well, Jesus prayed in the morning. And he got up so early in the morning. And I hate the morning. I mean, I despise the morning. When the morning comes up, I want to hit the morning in the face. I hate the morning so much. But what sometimes Christians will do, they'll guilt you to going, well, you know, if you really want God to answer your prayers, you better pray in the morning. Folks, Jesus did pray in the morning. But you know what else? There's scriptures that say he prayed at noontime. And there are times that he prayed at 2 o'clock in the morning. So if you're a night owl and you're like, I don't even like start functioning until then, pray then. It doesn't matter when the time is. But this is a question I have for you. So when is your time? When is your time that you pray? Is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Is it before you pick the kids up? Is it after you drop the kids off? When is it? If you're in college, it's like noon because I don't move until noon, right? It really doesn't matter what time you choose. You just need to set a consistent time. Now, I do mine in the morning because I have kids. And once they get active, the house changes. So I, you know, I, I prayed that the Lord would shut their mouths sometimes. <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? I mean, I prayed it, but it hasn't happened. So I do mine in the morning, and um, I do it consistently. And I make an appointment uh, with God, and uh, we spend time together in the morning. Again, it doesn't matter, though. If you're morning, great. If it's evening, noon, whenever, it doesn't matter. Now, the big question is, what's your time? What time are you going to set? Second thing is you have to pick a place. You've got to pick a place. Jesus said this one time. He said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in heaven. The idea here is that there are certain types of prayers that I need to pray, and there are certain types of prayer that you need to pray that you need to do it in private, in a specific room, in a specific place. A place where you're not going to be rushed. A place where there's not distractions. For me, it has to be a quiet place. It has to be a place that is quiet enough that I can really just have nothing but silence that's connected. So one of the things I do is I make sure my cell phone is off. Any of you, it took me two years, but have any of you learned about this airplane mode on your phone? Isn't that like the best thing in the world? That's what I do. I put it on airplane mode, and you know what that means? You get no beeps. Because for a while, I would turn it like on silence, but silence wasn't enough. I hate cell phone companies. No, I'm joking. But silence wasn't enough, so every time I hear this beep, I'm like, oh, man, i got to do something, you know? So now I've learned about airplane mode, and so I don't hear anything at all. And my place is our kids' uh, playroom. It's upstairs. It's very quiet at the time that I pray. No kids are there. Even if they get up, I don't hear them because it's over the garage. And 
It's about the only time that it is quiet. So I take full advantage of it. So you have to set a time consistently and you have to pick a place that's consistently. Because if you don't pick the same place, what happens is you start going everywhere. And I, I tried to do the outdoor thing for a while. You know, people are like, oh, you're real close to with God. And I would sit there and all of a sudden I'd see a squirrel go, squirrel. <laughs> you know, bird. What is that? You know, it just didn't happen. Okay, next thing. You've got to develop a plan. You've got to set a time. You've got to pick a place. And you've got to develop a plan. Now, confession time. And I've confessed this before. But I have a really hard time with focused prayer. I always have. I just have a hard time doing it. I have a mind that works like really, really fast. And my mind like runs really, really fast. It doesn't run anywhere. It just kind of like does laps. You know what I mean? But it, it, it runs really, really fast. And... You know, when I first started to pray, I would go, dear God, and then I would, you know, dear God. And then all of a sudden, I'd start thinking about responsibilities that I had. I'd start thinking about problems that I had. I'd start thinking about problems I needed to solve. And when Jen and I first got married, I always, I was the grocery shopper. I was like, did she say 2% or 1% milk? You know, I knew she got mad that one time I, I just, I don't know. And then, uh... For me, a prayer routine, I was just striking out. It's like year after year. You know, I'm a pastor even at this point. It's like year after year, I'm just striking out with this whole prayer thing. And then this guy came to me one day, and he told me, he said, well, one of the things that I do is I write my prayers down. I was like, what? That's weird. Why would you do that? Is that like a diary? Not a girly mon, you know. I mean, come on, seriously? You want to do that? And he's like, no, try it. And so he had this acrostic. And for the past 15 years, folks, if there's anything that I can say that has affected my growth in my relationship with God the most, it has been setting a time, a place, and having acrostic prayer that I write down my prayers so that I'm focused within that time. In fact, this morning, I have this black uh, journal. And each morning what I do is I write down an acrostic that I'm going to teach you right now that will uh, really impact your life. When you walked in today, you should have received a little journal. It looks like this, prayer journal. Everybody get it out. Everybody get it out. If you don't have one, raise your hand. And uh, uh, Bonnie's over there. She'll get one to you. You really want this because if not, it's not going to be good. It's going to be like in the lion's den. I mean, you know. So just raise your hand. We'll get one to you here real quick. And if you would, open to the very first page. And up in the top left-hand corner, it says pray. Okay? P-R-A-Y. What's that stand for? Whoa! You guys are amazing. Like, whoa. So pray, okay? Now... The P stands for praise. And this is where you simply take some time and you praise God, you thank God for all the things that he's done in your life. So get a pen and just write the word P. Now you might be sitting there and going, I don't want to do this. Well, I would never ask you to do something that I haven't done myself. 
So on Thursday morning, because we didn't have enough time to get my one this morning done. On Thursday morning, I uh, printed mine off, and this is what I wrote down. God, I give you thanks and praise this morning for the great prayer night last night. If you were there on Wednesday, it was just a powerful night of prayer. I praise you for a wonderful wife and Jen and two kids and Jordan and Shiloh. Bless them today. I praise you for always having my back and always being for me. Okay, so that's mine. Now I want to see yours. So we're going to give you a minute right now. And if you look up and you're looking at me, I'll know you're not doing it. And we have lions behind the curtain. So do it. Write a P. You got one minute. Okay, so that's your P. The R stands for repent. What does that mean? It means to say you're sorry to God for anything in your life and then to say, hey, I'm going to change. I really want to make a change. Now, on Thursday morning, I'm getting ready to walk out the door and my wife, Jennifer, uh, comes to me and she's like, hey, I need you to take all the Christmas items that we have in bags that are in the garage It's too full. You need to take that to that storage place. And this was my response. You mean the garage that you said you were going to clean this summer? Ouch. There's another word that you can spell at that time. It's J-E-R-K. Okay? So, I get to my prayer time, and this is what I write down on the repent part. I'm sorry for giving Jen a hard time about the garage. Help me be more sensitive and not use sarcasm to make fun of her. I confess not loving her like Christ loved the church. Help me to look beyond her flaws. I know I have so many more myself. Guess whose turn it is now? Yours. So take a minute. What do you need to repent for? Okay, so you praise God, you repent, and then you ask. Okay, the next thing is you ask. 
You ask for any need. Last week, we kind of practiced that ourselves. Moses raising his hands, asking for help. This is what I wrote on Thursday. God, give me wisdom today as I have several meetings. Help me to use my time wisely in the afternoon and complete the teaching outline. Give me creativity as I work on the teaching. Help me to have your, and I actually did that in my journal, capitalize, your attitude. Because a lot of times I have my attitude, which is, you know, get the garage clean. Okay? Uh, So, uh, one minute. What do you need to ask God for right now? Now, the the cool thing about the ask is, if you pull mine back up again, um, what I like to do, I want to know when God answers my prayer. And so I put a big capital A right when he answered it. And I got my teaching outline done, okay? And the second thing was, we created this creativity at the end so that you could actually have something. It wouldn't have happened, I believe, if it wasn't there. And so I can put an A to answer Because that's what you want to know. When did God answer it? That's what's great about journaling. Okay, the Y stands for yield. This is where you stop and you yield. Now, some of you don't yield at stoplights. I know you don't. But what that means is you should stop for a moment, okay? And you listen uh, within the midst of that. And what I do is I typically take seven minutes. My alarm is not connected to the airplane mode. So I can set it for seven minutes on my cell phone. I put seven, I push it, and then I say, God, if there's anything you want to tell me right now, I'm listening to you. Now, when I first started, this was the hardest thing in the world. In fact, I'm confessing, I only did a minute. Because if I got beyond a minute, I was just like all over. And then over time, I've learned whenever a distraction would come, I would say one word, Jesus. And so things this morning, you know, when I did it, things came in my mind, Jesus. And all of a sudden, it gets me that God... Even though I'm really weak, I really want to hear from you. So I take seven minutes to do that. And uh, on Thursday, this is what I sense God saying. It wasn't audible, just in my spirit, so I didn't hear anything. But first of all, ask for forgiveness from Jen. So I picked up the phone, I asked for forgiveness. And she said, yes, I'm married way up. I mean, so far up. And then the next thing I heard was love my people. And the last thing that I wrote down was relax and trust me. Now, this is going to be kind of generic because there are a whole bunch of people in here. You're not by yourself. But I want you to practice just real quick for one minute asking God if there's anything that you want to say to me and yield to that.
Okay. Well, this week, I want to challenge you, just for this week, to practice this prayer routine each day this week. And I was just thinking, just kind of wondering this morning that what if all 300 adults who attend the jar on a regular basis, what if all of us chose to do that this week? Like, what would God do? Like, I think what he would do is probably, you know, really amp up the joy in your life, the love in your life, the peace in your life. And he could move in a way that you just haven't seen. And all of a sudden now boring days become exciting days because I'm walking with the one who knows me and loves me. And you love him and he loves you back and you spend time together. It could just be so cool. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And uh, recently I heard a, a song called Jesus at the Center. And I was thinking about what if you went through every part of your day and you were just like, I want Jesus to be the center. When I wake up in the morning, I want him to be the center. When I go through my day, I want him to be at the center. Like, what would happen if that took place? And I think that God would move in your life and your family in such a way that you'd be like, oh, it was so worth that that acrostic of doing pray each day. So um, I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll schedule some time. And allowing Jesus really to be the center of your day. And so Derek's going to kind of lead us right now uh, in a song about Jesus being at the center.